G'day everyone and welcome to Expand the Fandom Podcast. This is the team from ChronicleChamber.com and you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening to at the moment, whatever is your favourite podcast app. Uh, this is episode 263, it's our October Comics and News Reviews. Uh, my name's Dan Fraser, I'm joined by Jermaine Parker. Um, how are you, Jim? Yeah, not bad. Uh, it's heating up down under. Uh, we're getting into the summer, into the summer, so that's good as well. Absolutely, and uh, not just talking about Australian comics, of course. Um, although that's what uh, you and I <laughs> read and subscribe to, and and, and get stuck into. Um, but over the course of the podcast, we'll go around the grounds around the world um, and hear some of the other um, reviews of comics from around the globe. Stephen's not with us, unfortunately, today. He succumbed to, I think, it's his fifth or seventh or something bout of COVID. Um, that may be over the top, but uh, I know I know Steve's been laid low with the return of the bug again this week. So I um, hope, you, hope you're feeling better soon, Steve, and uh, can join us for the next one. All right. Um, that said, we might as well get stuck straight into it, Germ. It's a, it's a Sunday morning where we are, and uh, we've got um, lots of things we need to, to get done this afternoon. So let's look into the FRU publications um, issues. And this is the first time we've come together for a uh, comics and news uh, episode since the release of the 75th anniversary um, issue, which was uh, 17, uh, sorry, issue 1952. Um, we went into a really deep dive on that in a previous podcast if you'd like to go back. Um, but the next issue that came out, 1953, um, features a sequel to one, or not a sequel, the second part of one of the stories that was in that issue. And that, of course, is the second part of The Kiss of the Devil by Peter Anderson and Giancarlo Caracuzza. What did you think, Jim? It's good to see it in colour for a start. Um, not often we see a regular um, issue in colour. Um, so, yeah, enjoyed that. Yeah, look, I uh, agree. Um, I'm really enjoying Giancarlo's work in colour. Um, mm. I think uh, this is daughter, Flavia. I think she does a great job in working with her dad's style of the colours. Um, it reminds me... There was a lot of uh, nostalgia in reading this. There's the obviously the Rocketeer theme. There's the Easter Islands. There's the underground things. I like you know remind me of a of a Tintin comic style of the art has a real European feel to it, which makes sense because all, all creators are actually from from Europe. Yeah, European. European. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look, I had fun. There's um you know the the lead. Femme Fatale is a, a likable but a not uh, a memorable bad person. So, you know, of course she gets away at the end, which means there's the possibility of her coming back. Um, you know, there's this, uh, the the main sterling uh, investigator kind of reminds me of the, the clumsy sidekick in a sense, but I quite like him. Yeah. So. <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh, I did not. <laughs> I thought he was hopeless. <laughs> I know what you're saying, clumsy, but uh, my goodness, he literally goes, oh, I've got a prisoner. Let's walk down the steps and get knocked out and boom. I've just walked yeah. myself into, into the trap. Um, he didn't even sneak in. He just wandered down the stairs and got his head hit. So, <laughs> Yeah, but it's not the only one. Um, looking, up, looking at page uh, 13 and then there's a, a panel that got his adventure quota of being knocked at the back of the head as well. But, look, it, it was fun. Um, in reading part one, I was unsure where this was kind of going and if it was going to be just a, a second part and that was going to be the end of it or not. 
Well, I would like to see Sterling come back, fumble his way into another adventure down the track and bump into the Phantom as well. Um, so, yeah, but no, look, I had fun reading it. It's not a heavy read in the sense that it's not trying to solve world peace or um, trying to, you know, break up the war in Ukraine or, or Second World War or anything like that. It's a fun adventure comic where you can have a little bit of a laugh, you can read it, enjoy, and then you can get on with your life. And sometimes those are what you want. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, Surely that is what you want from your comic books, isn't it? A little bit of escapism. Um, I thought Madame Destine um, is is one of the better femme fatales we've seen in quite a while. And I, and I feel like having we were in a bit of a chat with Peter, and I think that he actually wrote this two or three years ago, I think. and, and um, I think it was I, even longer than that. I think it was like six years ago from memory. Yeah, right. Because certainly in chatting with him, he was like, oh, I can't really remember how that went. <laughs> no, <I'm interested. laughs> gets published um uh, but no full credit to him for for creating um her as a as a really engaging character and and um you know the way that Giancarlo's drawn her she's quite a sexy young lady and um brings that sort of appeal to the comic as well and i'm sure there'd be lots of 14 15 year old boys who uh pick this up and go you know what i might start reading fan comics on a bit more of a regular basis so um as you said she does uh get away in the end we don't see um her disappear and of course um well, i'd probably prefer to see her back before uh jim sterling to be fair yeah fair enough um let's let's uh do a bit of a shout out to you know this page if you're on youtube we're going through the comic um but this is page 26 27 28 and 29 which has a big aerial battle with uh rocketeer style jetpacks which you know look i i actually recently watched rewatched the rocketeer maybe six months ago and um i enjoyed it remembering back to that and remembering that and then reading this and it was yeah yeah it filled you with some you know, fuzzy feelings, and sometimes that's what you want. Yeah. It was interesting, wasn't it? What felt like um, little shout-outs to those sorts of influences. You mentioned Tintin. There's certainly a scene where um, they're going into one of the Easter Island statues that's very reminiscent of uh, Tintin stories. Uh, this with its hearkening of the Rocketeer, even even scenes that feel like they're from the Phantom movie or inspired by the mm -hmm. Phantom movie. Now, again, having spoken to Pitt, I, I don't necessarily really think that that was at the forefront of his mind when he was writing them. He, he certainly would say that they weren't. But um, you can tell that uh, those sorts of things must have uh, had an influence of some kind just ticking away in the background there. You know, sometimes we have um, uh, comics with great big splash pages with an outstanding montage or whatever like that. There wasn't there wasn't anything like that mm. in this one so much. Like you say, it was uh, an entertaining read, a, a relatively quick read. I've gone back and read it a couple of times just because... Um, I did enjoy it to that extent. It flowed really well. I think the artwork works really well. And, and you know, to, to circle back, I suppose, talking about the colours, I think that um, we might have said this in in a previous podcast, I think it might have even been when we were talking about 1952, but um, I think through are getting much cleverer about the, the type of colours and then the instructions they're probably passing on about here's the type of colours or here's how colouring is going to work with our page quality rather than go, okay, we need to spend the extra money and, and increase the page quality um, and therefore pass on that price to the reader, um, just being a little bit cleverer with the colours that they do use on the on the paper that we can we can all afford sort of stuff. So, Well, you raise a good point. So uh, 1953, which was all colour, 
that was $5.95, where the regular black and white one is $4.40. Now, this is Australian. Obviously, New Zealand's yeah. a little bit different and currency's a little bit different. But that's $1.50 extra for collar, which is not a bad, it's not, it's, it's a good price range. You know, I think we all, in many ways, still go, "Oh, fruit comics, they're a dollar fifty, um, mostly because that was the price point when we uh, got hooked in, and that sort of still sticks for a lot of people, I think." And you start going, "Oh, a regular issue is six dollars now." Sounds like a lot, but by comparison with other comic books that you're picking up off the shelf, obviously there's not so many comics and news agents anymore. But uh, you go into any comic book store and try and get a um, 36 page full color story for six dollars, you're not doing it. Any of those American comics, any of the Marvel, the DC, um, you're twice the price. So I think through are doing a great job of um, being able to maintain a price point that is affordable. Cost of living, prices and inflation notwithstanding, we, we see that all over the place. But, uh, you know, for the bang for your buck, I think they're doing a great job. Um, the cover is probably, you know, we didn't mention the cover. It's, uh, I guess, just a highlight package of everything that's inside. And uh, it is interesting, I suppose. I just talked about it so much. But it's the the inside, the first page of the, the book is almost, a, it's almost like you did two drafts of the cover and then they picked one mm. for the outside, one for the inside. Okay. So question, which, which one would have you preferred to be the front cover, the inside page or the actual front cover? Um, Probably. I actually like the inside, the inside page, page. person. Mm. Yeah, the they haven't left the room as much for the banner up there, so maybe that was part of the reasoning why this one didn't get chosen. But yeah, I, I would agree. I think the one that was actually page one um, would have worked just as effectively, if not more so, um, as the front cover. Yep, I agree. Mm. All right, so let's move on. Now, the next two issues we're going to talk about, and I say that advisedly because we probably talk about them um, you know, we want to talk about them individually to an extent, of course, but it's uh, one big telling of the same story. So through issues 1954 and 1955, two regular uh, regular issues, 36 pages. Neither of them have got the little filler story at the back because this is um, a publication of a 1989 story from Tim Farnsman back when they were still doing um, full stories um, of that nature and hadn't reduced to the 22 pages we've seen more recently. So um, I don't do the maths. It's about a 70-odd page story all told across two books, The Night of the Jesters and The Demon in the Tower. Maybe before we dive into the story itself, you've got the cover for Night of the Jesters on the screen there. Um, that's by Jeremy McPherson. And then uh, Marcelo Bayes did the the cover for the next issue, 1955. Um, both wraparounds. What, what were your thoughts on, um, on the cover for Night of the Jesters? Really enjoy Jamie's work. He's a friend of the podcast. He's a you know a great guy, but he's also a good artist. Um, but in saying that, I do prefer um, Marcelo's over the other over Jeremy's cover. Yeah, fair enough. I like um, and, and you've got the front cover there. Um, I do like the the glow up, the, and and that's Thomas Mason's coloring work on Jeremy McPherson's artwork. The glow up that the Phantom has with the moon coming in over his shoulder, and the way that uh, that works for him and then the back covers um also features a fairly large moon and a, a very classic I, I just really like the way that jeremy mcpherson um, portrays the phantom's face in particular and, and he also gets the proportions of the body um just on for mine um but that said i i agree that marcella Bayes's cover um for 1955 and uh, we'll bring that up later but um it's probably where it's very dynamic as well. And and I just I think this is a Marcelo's only Marcelo's second cover, I want to say. 
um, even though he's done cards and that sort of thing. Um, no, I, think it's- I think he's done a couple more. I think he's done maybe three or four, but yeah, he hasn't done many. Okay. Well, it's good to see him. Um, good to see him in the in the brief as well. All right. So, Night of the Jesters. Um, if we start with that one, as I said, this is from 1989. Has never previously been published by Fru. Has not been published in English before. Um, this was back when Klaus Stramathi was still Michael Tierras or was using that pen name. Um, must have been towards the end of his run because I, I sort of thought that was just the 80s and this is 89 as I said um, and the art by Jamie Valve where do you want to start talking about this one Jim? We made a little bit of fun uh, on our social medias about the Phantom and his preservation methods uh, a little bit of chuckle from a couple of fans um, you know a priceless document and then he opens up a glass cabinet in the middle of a, a damp dusty uh, skull cave and then holding it with his hands so it's um look, it's a little bit funny um but that's probably a discussion for another day i really enjoy jamie val's uh artwork it's dynamic it's bold uh, bad guys are always ugly like you look at the you know the villain and they've got the the sharp edges on the beard and the and the eyebrows and stuff which makes them look demonic in, in a sense so you know yeah, you know who's a bad guy, you know who's who's not. It's a lot like Wilson McCoy. Um, I love the the blacks that he uses. Uh, I gotta say, the second Phantom throughout part one and part two is probably not portrayed as a very heroic, um, resourceful type of phantom. He's he's a bit of a bumbling idiot who kind of just gets, you know, he kind of bumbles his way, fumbles his way from one part of the adventure to another and bit of a, you know, like a, a love sick puppy. But, look, I really enjoyed the story. I enjoy, uh, It's not too heavily themed on religious battles and stuff like that, which some of the, you know, 70s and 80s stories can be at times. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I love the, love the artwork. The storyline's solid. Um, I'm glad I got to read it. Yeah, I'm certainly glad that um, it has finally been published by Fru. Um, what are we? 30, is that 30 years ago? 35 years, nearly. Um, well, yeah, I'm certainly glad that we've, we've got to see it. I can understand probably why um, it wouldn't have been published during what uh, Jim Shepard was doing in the 90s and, and early 2000s. Um, it had a bit of a different focus and uh, it, it's not one of the, the stronger Rimethi or Tierra's stories, I wouldn't have thought. The artwork, I agree, is is spectacular. Um, but you, the way that you've characterised the, the actual Phantom there, oh, I think you're spot on. He really does just sort of, he, he just is through the story. He's not really taking control of the action um, at any stage, which is more like what you'd like to see the Phantom doing. He gets drawn along by other characters more so, and he's not a great you know, he's not a great detective in this one, trying to un- unfold and see what happens. He gets presented with the with information as we go through. There's there's a lot of different um, vested interests, and um, you know, the, the whole story centres on these two different princes trying to take control of a of a chest of um, Leonardo da Vinci's and and get all of his really cool designs and that sort of stuff. But, um, and and they, each of those two princes have actors, well, literally actors um, or a performance troupe or or other um, spies and that sort of thing working for them. It gets quite complicated, 
but the Phantom never solves any of that himself. He just sort of discovers yeah. it when he when someone tells him about it as much as anything. So I thought that that was a, a weaker portrayal of, of a Phantom character. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree. Um, the fight scenes are great. The action scenes, like the Phantom jumping through the air, um, there is there's some great action scenes. It's it reminds me of watching like a Three Musketeers type of yeah. movie where you've got the you've got these agile people with the sword fights, with the jumping, with the flips, the horse tricks, and all that type of stuff. And it's just oh wow, you know, like it it reminds me of that when I read it. I think it highlights that um, across the two the two parts, it highlights that you don't want to be a bear um, back in <laughs> medieval Europe. Doesn't turn out well for bears across the across the two comics. Um, and it, it was, it, I think, well, that's an example, I suppose. That was something that was kind of repeated across the two um, in terms of the little side bar with a bear. Um, I did feel like there was a few things that they went. You know, um, Ramethi as Tierras um, went back to maybe a little bit too often. He, he liked, for instance, and we don't want to do lots of spoilers, but the um, the hanging cages in the um, the demon in the tower. He went back to that multiple times, the, the, and it was almost the same action sequence was just repeated. And it, and I repeat, I really liked the up in the air type stuff. We but we also saw that in Night of the Jesters with the the tightrope walking and that sort of thing. So uh, it, it it did feel like a little bit there was he was keep kept going back to the same well of well of ideas a little bit too much for mine. I would have liked to see a bit more variety as that unfolded. I actually wouldn't mind have seen a little bit more of the the tightrope type of stuff because like we saw a lot of it in the first one so you know maybe he could the fandom could have picked up some of it you some know yeah. and then have had to use that in the second one in the demon of the tower now for those yeah. who are on youtube we've kind of flicked through and we're now onto the demon of the tower and here there was still that that avenue for maybe some more type rope type of adventures the acrobats jumping and but that would have required the Phantom to be in a little bit more of a, a Phantom and not just a bumbling nobody. I yeah, just, correct. Yeah. Mm. Which would fix the problems that we already talked about as well. So, and it's interesting, like I, I mentioned before, that there's not one overarching title for these two stories. They are a part one and a part two. But other than Felicia and the fact that there's keys. There's not really a lot of um, extension of the first story into the second story. You could you could read that as a standalone, and and never read the first part and not be very you, you miss nothing really um, in terms of, in terms of that continuity of a story. Especially with the, I, I would say the recap was really good. Yeah, that was that, that which, was done well. Which like kind of helps it. Yeah, it does. It does. But um, you probably wouldn't miss much. Even um, yeah, as I say, you didn't. You certainly didn't need to read the first one to to enjoy the second one. The whole purpose or the centre point of the adventure, which was this chest and the mm. drawings inside, mm. and they're still fighting for the drawings fifty years, or you know, twenty, thirty, or whatever years afterwards. That was probably that was a bit of a. Don't know the right word, but it was a bit weak. Mm. 
Yeah, I guess um, it's an interesting one because the premise being that there's this chest that Leonardo da Vinci has designed. So, of course, it's impenetrable, um, except if unless you've got all three keys to operate the chest turning at the same time and the three keys get separated and these two princes are trying to get them back together and, and acquire all the keys. Look, that right up, and I, sorry if this is a spoiler, but that was the absolute weakest moment of the story for mine. The Phantom is off to um, try and get the being sent from one prince to the other to try and get more keys. And he's thinking on the journey, oh, no one knows that I've got a key. Haha, I've got something up my sleeve. He walks in to see the second prince, and the first thing he says is, right, I've got a key. What? Well, <laughs> Play your cards close to your chest, man. What, like, what do you think's going to happen if you walk in and, and say, I've got a key? They're going to take it off you. Um, that mm. just, it seemed like a, um, it's, I can't, I, that just seemed like a ridiculous thing for him to have done. He seemed very green and novice, like even at the beginning of this, of the part one where he got attacked by those bandits. Now, I, when I think of the second Phantom, now, obviously, you know, I've, read a lot of the stories because I did it with the Phantom Bible and all that. But even before then, I think of the stories like the Battle of on uh, Malta and some of these other Carrie Lepinan stories and Elf Granberg stories where this story just doesn't seem to match with the second Phantom of what I've read in previous Phantom stories. That was one thing I wanted to ask you, actually, because um, obviously you've done a power of work on the on creating that Phantom Bible, and I'd certainly encourage anyone to to follow the links from our website and check that out. When you pick up a story like this, then and it's thirty five years old, and it was but it was written by Klaus Romerthy, um, someone who you know knows the lore of the Phantom inside and out as much as anyone. What do you do then if if you do you go back to your entry on the second phantom and go okay now I've got to factor in what Ramethi has said in this story or um, certainly there's a love interest in this one does uh, does that come into the entry there because this is this is information we weren't previously aware of but mm. it, it is out there. Great question. First of all, I just want to say page nineteen. Great artwork on that one. That's on the screen. But getting back to your question, so this is this is the description I've currently got. Had a difficult relationship with his father for the first ten odd years. After Marabella left the deep woods to rule, uh, she took the second fan and with her. Eventually, he wanted to follow in his father's footsteps, which saw the start of his training in a great relationship. Interestingly in the second fandom also had a poor relationship with his own son which was the third one which ties in with the third uh with the third phantom running off to school lee fogg accidentally had the second phantom marry his mum we won't go into too much details about that one uh team phantom man has had two different women marry the second phantom in one story team phantom man they say he married four women so in knowing that, I was intrigued where the end of this story was going with Felicia. Yeah. Uh, only two have been mentioned in stories. And then with, according to what I, what makes the most sense is Anne is the mother of the third phantom. Um, and then I've just said, maybe best having just two wives with Elena and Anne, his only wives. And then some characteristics. So I'm just going to read this out and then people can, as they've read this, they can see whether we need to adjust the second phantom description due to this story. Blonde hair, had a temper like his dad, swore the oath for 18 or 19. He has a half-brother. Uh, his weapons consisted of a sword, crossbow, bow, and arrow, and snap 
lock guns. And then, of course, there's some details of his dad. So I don't, I don't really think it needs to be changed probably that much. Obviously, we've kind of touched upon the fact that he's been a bit unlucky in love, which mm. kind of matches this story. In my opinion, this story, the way he is portrayed as a bumbling idiot, which I think is a fair enough assessment, uh, is probably a little bit of an outlier compared to the other stories I've read. But in looking at a panel like this of 19, where he thinks yeah. quick on his feet, he jumps off there, and then he grabs it. You know, that's the type of second phantom I like. I think the the bumbling idiot bit is how did he get into that um, hanging cage in the first place? And again, because <laughs> he walked in and said, here I am, put me in a cage, even as he enters the castle going, geez, you wouldn't want to be in one of those cages, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's attributes in the story that is phantom-like, but then there's attributes that are not phantom-like. When I'm reading a story, and, you know, maybe this is just because I'm a little bit different because I've spent, you know, a good six months of my life every day during this Phantom Bible is that I'm looking at it from the perspective of a continued broad picture, stepping back. How does it fit into the Phantom Bible that we created? You know, that's how I'm kind of doing it. And so when I read it, I'm like, oh, that's not really the second Phantom that I know that I am aware of. But for the average fan who just wants to read a good story, you know, it probably wouldn't be an issue for them. No, I just thought it was a, an interesting one because there there will be these things that crop up and, um, you know, it, it doesn't all necessarily jigsaw together effectively. What did you think of, the, like, the, the title, The Demon in the Tower? What did you think of the – I don't know. What did you think of the demon, this uh, this beast that was uh, scaring everybody and, and protecting, the, uh, protecting the chest? Like what I said before with the movie, it's the, you know, it's the larger than life. It's, um, you know, everything's big. It's scary. Um, you know, Lee Falk has used giant gorillas. Uh, the Thuggies adventure, uh, is one that comes to mind where, um, where the Phantom, he's got a, puts a chain around him and then he puts an oil drum on it, uses a lever situation with the, with the tree and pushes it off. And then he's kind of dangling in midair, you know, like that, that when I'm reading this, that kind of reminds me, I probably would prefer if the Phantom didn't kill the monkey. You know. I thought he was just knocked out. There's a lot going on in these stories and it's just, it was mm. just another one of the, the new characters and the new, um, you know, interactions that seem to be coming from every, from every stage. The, the wizard or the uh, guy who's also seeking the key and he's a double agent, that sort of thing. He was a really interesting character for about two and a half pages, um, was in and out of the story in a, in a hurry as well. So I don't know. It's, um, this may have been a, a uh, there was a lot going on. Fast paced story with lots going on. Um, I probably preferred the kiss of the devil in terms of the pacing of that story than this one, which had so much more um, complexity to it. But that said, um, the artwork, and, and we keep coming back to this, but the artwork of Valve um, is just extraordinary. It really is one of the uh the better Team Fantaman um artists as far as as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not going to go further than the page 29 because there's the twist at the end. This has only just come out. I want to give some fans a bit of a chance before they read it. I will mm. say I did like how Dudley didn't ruin the ending in his message from the publisher, and if anything, he almost added 
to it by leading us down a direction. Mm, so mm. I thought the way he did that, you know, kudos to Dudley because, you know, I read the message from the publisher first, which, you know, I probably shouldn't and I probably should learn that not to do that. Um, but I thought, you know, because I read it and I went, oh, okay. And then I'm reading it and I'm going, okay, yeah. And then I get the ending and I'm like, Dudley, you tease. You let me down the garden path. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I don't read the message from the publisher until after I've read the story. I've been caught one too many times. Um, but I agree with you. Even uh, even in hindsight, reading it second, um, he, he's done exactly as you've said there. So no, that was that was well done. Um, can you bring that one back to, back up? We we spoke about Marcelo Bezos, um cover, um, or, or, we, or maybe we can just look at it while I hold it there. Um, it is a wraparound, as I as I said. So we we commented that we do like Marcelo Bezos. work. you said this was a better one than the other. What did you like in particular? about this about this cover the depth that he created with the larger than life sword in front of the phantom which is he's drawn the phantom's arm and the sword bigger than everything else which kind of gives you the idea that it's in front yeah. of everything so there's that depth um he's got the little spiral happening as well uh, which we learned about when we were talking to alex uh trip trip oh, trip that's right so, you know, you've kind of got that spiral. I liked how you used the bad guy with that evil-looking face and stuff like that. Bold, it's in your face. And then even with, like, the shadows of, like, the black silhouettes of the horses and stuff like that with mm. the gorilla in the background. It's funny. I um, When I first picked this up and got this out of my subscription envelope, at first glance I, th I thought, Wow, this is um, a very different style from Shane Foley that I'm used to because the face, the Phantom's face for mine uh, had a, a big, it reminded, I thought, I just thought it was a Shane Foley cover and then the more, uh, just hit a Shane Foley face, but then I was like, it's not quite what I usually uh, see from him and then um, twigged that it wasn't Shane's. The more you look around the rest of it, you go, well, hang on, Shane would not draw um, his his damsel like that that's uh, a different style and, and you see the the signature down there but uh no i just thought it was interesting that um the actual literally the face of the phantom um i think certainly had a lot of but gee i really like the way that that's done he's a very chiseled um chiseled face he's a strong character there um and almost a little smile on his lips as he's uh wading into action dan just before we move on to the giant size we're talking about marcelo bayas uh this is actually his third through cover uh like you said that he has done a few um posters prints and cards and stuff so his first one was 1766 if you're on youtube you will see a screenshot of that and then there was 1890 also has a, da uh, a damsel on the front cover so Marcella's got a style and then of course you've got this one which is 1955 so there hasn't been too many there's been a couple yeah I remember uh, meeting him as well we were down at a uh, supernova and I feel like it was a few years ago we were going to see him to get um comics signed and, and trading cards signed back when he only had the one cover I'm pretty sure because I remember thinking oh he's yes you know we've listed him as a phantom creator but one cover is is pretty much all that he's got and then all of a sudden there was the trading cards that came out um and now he's produced another couple of covers since so every 120 issues or so so not not exactly a regular contributor um, but certainly someone i wouldn't mind seeing more of in the, in this space we're moving on to giant size uh giant size issue now this is number 26 and speaking of covers now this is a a style of cover that i guess 
you pick up a giant size these days and you know that you're going to get something a bit quirky and something a bit different. And Glenn Lumsden just, geez, he must have fun doing these. Um, but I really enjoyed the uh, the front cover of Giant Size Phantom 26, a different style with the uh, the Phantom sitting, uh, sitting comfortably in his lounge chair, reading the Bengali Times, all excited because it's, uh, you know, this might be a little poke at News Corp and, and uh, Australian newspapers uh, with a, uh, wow, we've got special comics sections starting in the, um, in the Bengali times and he's surrounded on the walls behind him by uh um portraits of a lot of the other characters the other giant size um through um characters uh did you like this cover i did um have you noticed that the strip down the left hand side along the spine didn't have the you know 20 stories or you know five stories 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 it struck me as cleaner but i didn't i didn't identify it, it it looks good, I reckon, without it. Yeah, and then you've got so you've still got the yeah. core box, and then you've got you know the phantom, but you've got all of the other heroes as well. Um, this panel here of the of the panther flying the aeroplane from memory, the original of this had a different character. Goal include screenshot. So for those on YouTube, you can see what I'm talking about. Um, but there was another character instead of the Black Panther. And then when they realised that that character wasn't going to be included in this story and the Black Panther was, um, Glenn edited to be the Black Panther right. instead. Right. So that only characters who have got stories in this particular issue were featured on the cover. That makes sense. Yeah. Very good. All right. So this one, um, it's an unusual sort of a, a giant size because um, a lot of the giant size books have, uh, you know, they've been there 196 pages or 100 pages or whatever they are. This one's 100. So they probably all are 100 except for the specials. Um, they often have, um, you know, six, seven, eight stories. One of them uh, often has been a, quite a short phantom story, four to six pages. Um, and uh, then we see the rest of the free universe characters um, across the, the remainder, mostly um, reprints of old stories, um, the occasional modern retelling of one of those characters. Um, this one's a little unusual in the sense that it's only got what's well, got six six stories. Only three of them are those uh, other through characters, well, primarily there's a bit of crossover, obviously, but there's well, my point being that three of the six stories are actually Phantom stories, um, which is a much higher proportion than usual um, in the in the giant size. Um, is that something you'd like to see continue, where we see more Phantom stories in the giant size, or is it a place that really should be seeing a lot more of the others? I like it. Uh, you get your three reprints, your classic reprints from the fifties. Uh, you get a Cybarry or Wilson McCoy or Ray Moore type of story which keeps the focus happy and then you have some little fun crossovers which we've got two of so hmm. in my opinion this is the ideal um giant size formula to use hmm. let's have a look at the uh the phantom stories so the frame up is the uh the first one giant size do tend to lead out with the uh with the phantom story and um we've got a lengthy phantom story on this occasion let me just check um 17 17 pages um which is one of the longer ones as i said before the frame up which is lee fork and cy barry oh, it's been a long time since i've read the read the frame up um what did you think of it as you as you touched into it again dare i say this is probably the better uh story of general Bababu when he returns i actually enjoyed this one better than a lot of the other ones that we've seen afterwards the whole sun marrying 
you know, the daughter. Enjoyed that. I think from memory we see them once more and we never see them again. So that's Lon Luaga, uh, Lon, uh, Lon Lamanda, Luaga's son, and Leela Babua, um, the general's daughter, um, yes. who have fallen in love in this story. Well, I think this story would be when we were probably introduced to both those characters, um, and by the end of it they are, um, yes, eloping and getting married and um, bringing two two families together. I like Leela. I like Lo- uh, Lon. You know, they're good characters. I like how they, you know, there's that whole Romeo and Juliet theme with the rival families coming together. You know, that's nice. Um, I would like to see them come back. So just to just to clarify, the frame-up was from 1968. Um, Leela Babua also, uh, also appeared in one more Lee Fawkes story, and that was The Jungle Home from 1969. Daily number 105, I think the frame up we're talking about is 101. So used in pretty quick succession by Lee Fork um, in the late 1960s there, has made two appearances in Tim Fantaman's stories, which is The Dictator from 1981 by Don Avenel, and uh, it has not ever been published in Australia, that particular story. And the other one she appeared in was The Redeemer Part 1 by Clayster Mirthy. That's a 2005 story um, and mm-hmm. has appeared in a Fru comic once um, back in 2005 in issue 1424. So if people want to look that up, if you really liked um, the character, she's listed as Leela Luaga in the uh, 2005 redeemer story um so clearly uh, acknowledging the marriage with lon who also appears in that story apparently so we'll have to do a bit of research and dig that one back up so uh so they have appeared a couple of times but you're right it's um there's certainly uh, depending on how close Ramirthi left them in 2005 hopefully he didn't kill them off um and uh, they could they could come back into it particularly now that um lamanda is uh president again across both universes the artwork's great this is cy barry's in his um element here diana's you know, gorgeous. It's uh, and I do love dipping into these classic ones. And so, for for the people who will say, "Oh, Fru shouldn't be doing repeats of old stories," I've I've already read this story. This story, not everybody has. Um, and even those of us who have, it's it's fun to dip back into them again. And I don't know about you, but uh, well, you probably do this a lot more often than I do. I very rarely go back and you know have the time to go back and dig out a, a an old Lee Fork story or any other reprint from uh, from previous Frews and find that in the collection and go, you know, I don't really want to read that particular story. Um, just doesn't happen as often as I'd like. So when it's presented to me, and it's not overdone, it has not been published in Australia since um, 1998 previously. So five times in total now. It was in through issues 380, 540 and 721, then 1998 now 2023. So it's been a while between drinks and lots of people may not have read this at all yet mm. and that's why i think the giant sizes is a perfect avenue those who want to read the reprints or the reprinted stories the newspaper stories are generally likely the ones that want to read the giant size sir falcon and the shadow and stuff like that so mm. whether through are doing this on purpose or whether they're not i think they are but i think they are trying to create two titles one for the newer fresher fans which is the newer stories the color you know and then for the rusted old fans who might not have as much money who don't want to you know buy a comic every second week or something like that you have your giant size which gives you a little bit of you know your newspaper stories which gives you your nostalgic 
feel. Take that point and run with it in a minute. But just on that nostalgia feel, I did enjoy at the end of the um, at the end of the story as published in Giant Size, they also included the "Did you know" section um, about uh, which I think must have been published in the um, that issue eleven eighty seven, um, which was the the nineteen ninety eight annual, as it happens. Um, I reckon that that would have been published on those pages as well. And I, I appreciate that uh, Dudley made the decision. He could have absolutely put a, an ad for the trading cards or for the 75th anniversary comic book or something across that instead. I liked that he included that, um, you know, because uh, I did enjoy those in the in the, the 90s, the yeah. Did You Know panels. This still tells us here's a bunch of stuff that uh, have been identified as items in the major treasure room, for instance. So um, just those little bits of phantom trivia. Um, cool to see those in as well i completely agree and that's and that you know these type of things spawns the idea of you know doing chronicle chamber doing the phantom bible uh you know the social media posts that we did and all that we loved that as a kid and yep. because we love that we're doing it from today's version of that with our social media posts and and stuff like that. So nostalgia is one thing, and certainly Giant Size is a, a scope for that. But uh, also we've got um, Shane Foley's become quite a regular. I've already talked about him a little bit um, earlier in the conversation. But um, Shane Foley's become a bit of a regular in the Giant Size with his crossover stories, his new stories. And this one is a crossover uh, between the Phantom and Sir Falcon. Here's an interesting one. Um, 2021, Shane Foley has put this story together and sent in to Fruce. So it's taken a while to get from his drawing board to um, our lounge rooms. But uh, an interesting story with Sir Falcon coming to the Deep Woods after riding to the Phantom to request a visit um, because he wants to find out, he wants to dip, deep dive into the Phantom's um, chronicles to find out what happened with his own ancestors who he says in here um, were nowhere near as good at record keeping as what the, the Phantom um, uh, lineage has been. Did you, uh, what did you, what, what did you enjoy about this story? I enjoyed everything. And the beauty about what Shane is doing is, by putting these characters with the Phantom, whether it was Scorpius, whether it was this or whatever, it has helped me have a greater appreciation for the Shadow, for Sir Falcon, for the Phantom Ranger and all that type of stuff. And so that's why Shane Foley and some of these other creators need to continue doing it because because of stories like this, I actually give a stuff about Sir mm. Falcon. You know, like, being like, frank. Yeah, There's not actually a Sir Falcon story other than this one. There's not a an original Sir Falcon story in this particular issue of Giant Size, but I'd have been much more likely to go flip back and then read that Sir Falcon story if um, if it had been sitting there as well. So um, mm. it does it does give you that bit more information about the character and more, more likely to go and read their stories, I think. Yeah. I just want to quickly say before we get on to the story, uh, Shane Foley's Skull Cave Reminds me of, is it The Thing from Fantastic Four? Yes, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I always do enjoy seeing different artists take on the Skull Cave. Um, and, you know, I think Shane has made a, a pretty good effort at going, well, what would a natural rock formation that kind of look like a skull, um, how would that fit? And I like, too, the fact that, you know, in the background there you can see the Bandar village um, and, you know, the everything, everybody who, how they live together in the deep woods. You know, one thing that he's done, which a lot of artists don't do, is he's actually drawn the, the cave near Rockface. And we're spending probably too much time talking about 
you know, a, a quarter of a panel here, but a lot of artists do flat lamb and then they just do this little blob. Yep. Yep. And <laughs> where it's like we've yeah. been for that straight up. So yeah. Where naturally a cave would be, you know, would be kind of like coming out of a, you know, a valley wall or, or something like that. So I just mm. thought that was just intriguing how he did that. I, and and just to finish on that, also the scale that he had of the Skull Cave and the the tiny little characters coming up to that huge rock face in the in the cave was pretty cool. The story itself, as I said, is uh, tells the story of Sir Falcon looking for information about his own descendants. Uh, sorry, us his own ancestors. Um, he'd have to talk to Old Moz if he wanted to find out information about his descendants. He's going to the the Chronicle Chamber though. If he wants to find out information about his ancestors. That's uh, you know a fairly typical trope, I guess, in the in the um, history of phantom stories where they dip into the chronicle chambers and then the um the story that we actually are told comes from one of those books so in terms of the the story of this of the sixth seventh sir falcon um and his alleged suicide the current sir falcon trying to find out the truth behind all of that all of the the politics and the scheming and that sort of thing that was going on in England back in the day. Um, what did you make of that story, Jim? I loved the concept of an ancestor being framed for something and then that stain being a legacy battle to try and clear his name. It, it works great here. Um, what's actually interesting is that I can't remember the story, but there was... I think it was the 9th, 10th, 11th, around that era, there was a, and it wasn't an actual a phantom story exploring that. It was just like a, a mention where he was framed for a murder and then he escaped. It was regret of his that he wasn't able to clear his name. And we haven't actually gotten a story on whether the son cleared his father's name or whether he went back and cleared his name or anything, but... Reading this reminded me of that, and it's like it's an interesting concept we haven't really seen explored with the Phantom, and let's face it, the Phantom has the ability for that because there's 21 past generations where you can have, you know, the Phantom being framed for something. And so I like how Shane is exploring that concept. And I enjoyed the fact that it gave me insight, and maybe this is just because I haven't read enough Sir Falcon, but it gave me insight into the fact that this is also a legacy character, but one that everybody knows about. It's not um, that no one thinks he's immortal um, and and the son is the same as the father, et cetera. Um, It seems to be common knowledge that, um, you know, the the newspaper clippings in the last couple of pages highlight the fact that it's... um, you know, this is the son trying to take on, take the mantle of the of Sir Falcon back again, and that sort of thing. So, oh, it's on page eighty nine. The clipping that I'm talking about, quite early, not not at the end. <laughs> this giant size is perfect because it has a leaf fork Cybaris story. It has uh, what was it? It has three classics, and then it has two crossovers. Perfect ingredients. Perfect read. So, speaking like of the last perfect. crossover. So yes. the, the the second story, or the, the last story in this, is only a little four-pager. Um, at first glance, you might think it's been drawn by Cy Barry, um, but it's actually um, Felmang doing his best Cy Barry work. I mean, his old man, Moz, looks like it could have come off the pages of, of Cy Barry, and um, mm. 
there's a couple of shots of the Phantom on on page 98 that again look like they've come straight off the uh, the drawing table of Cy Barry. So certainly Felmang. And I gather that this was written in 1992. I know that there's a there's actually a really great um, piece on Chronicle Chamber, um, Germ, that you've researched and put together there with the help of some others to to get the background of of this particular story, which I think people need to read because on the face of it, you read this four page story and you go. Wow, what was that? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Where does that fit? And then you go and read the article and you go, okay, now I've got a really clear, much clearer understanding of how this story came into being um, and what its purpose was. The story behind the story is as good as actually the story itself. If you haven't read it, it's a, it's a Defenders yeah. of the Earth story really, uh, that's focused on the Phantom universe. But, um, yeah, it's uh, Mandrake and Flash Gordon fighting against Ming, Cobra, and um, General Babu again. Hmm. And then you've got Rick, Rick Kirby, you've got yeah. Vampirella, you've got a Prince Valiant um, Sundays. You've actually got the auction house itself being featured in it as well. Um, it's very clever and, and it's fun. That's the thing that I like about it is that it's fun. You know, you're reading it. And I remember reading it because I was reading the Shane Foley one and I'm reading it, reading it. And go, oh, that was, that was, I really enjoyed that. And then I'm like, what's this? What's this? And then I'm reading it and I'm going, Man, that's fun. I enjoyed that. And then you know, did a little bit of research, figured out what had happened, where the story came from. We had found the auction where the original artwork of this was actually originally auctioned. You read the story, uh, the tr- the comics review version of the story, and then you read the free version of the story, and it's almost two different. Like the dialogue's different. It's 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 really fascinating. Yeah, it is. It, it does make you wonder how um, the two translations are so different, and the the examples you've put on the, the website there. Yeah, they're, they're they're almost two different stories. They're, they're so mm. dramatically different, um, and it just makes you wonder how they could possibly have the translations so so unique. Think what happened, and I'm not 100 sure, but I think Rick from Comics Review didn't actually have the original uh, Italian words, and so he actually had to make up his dialogue based on the artwork. Oh, right. I think that's what happened. Well, that's a that's a pretty cool test of a. Uh, um, an artist's stort- storytelling ability then, isn't it, to uh, mm. to see how closely the, someone can just make up the dialogue to, to make sense of a story. I hope that Glenn and Dudley pull out a few more things like this as well in the Giant Size. Yeah, very good. Thumbs up for uh, Giant Size 26. Um, lots, lots to enjoy and, and uh, explore with that one. So that brings us to the end of the Australian comics uh, that we've seen over the last uh, four to six weeks. And uh, now we want to go, as I said at the start, around the rest of the globe and hear what else is going on. We're going to start with Mikkel from uh, Sweden, reviewing some of the more recent Phantomen stories. Um, Thanks very much, gents. Take it away. Phantomen. Review. Time for another Phantomen review with me, Mikkel. This time it is issue 20 of 2023 and me as uh, many old readers maybe got a deja vu by looking at this cover by Mikael Gustafsson. That's because way back in 1991 this cover was the publishing schedule but you never saw a devil in this one so good addition there and the main story of this issue is a reprint 
and actually Andreas explains why it's something happened so the story that was supposed to go had a cover that was supposed to go with the story and it got delayed so that's why he does it like this but still it's over one year since we got a phantom issue with no new phantom content so i think that's very well done by the editorial staff and uh, as i said the story is a reprint and it is written by norman worker and art by hans lindahl and this was the first story that uh, lindahl made to be colored not to be planned to go in black and white and it could be read in through 1613 it is uh, yeah it's it's an okay story but uh, it's not my favorite story i can say say like that and then we have the first part of a Thorgal story now the second part the concluding part of Neo Korra and this Thorgal story I thought was really good and the, in Sweden there are a lot of people buying the issue for Thorgal only I would guess because Thorgal is very liked here and let's see in the preview of the next issue we will have Döden in I Himalaya, Death in the Himalayas, and Tirangis Gravplatz, Tirangis Björl Ground by Johan L. Borgnes and Kari Leppinen. And yeah, Death in the Himalayas is a newspaper story, of course, by Tony De Paul and Mike Manley. And it will be out soon. This time it is a somewhat special episode because it's the soft cover book of the year. It is looking great with this amazing cover by Luca Erbara and uh, this glossy in some parts and matte in others which I think makes it look really cool this year the soft cover book has a western theme quite a lot like the annual uh, 2018 crew issue 1802 it is called in the land of the lawless but in Swedish then it uh, features some story here is the foreword by Andreas Eriksson the first story is uh, the phantom cowboy by Lee Falk, Cy Berry, George Olsen and Keith Williams it was the last Barry story and I think it's a really good story for being a newspaper story from that period I think it has a lot of action and yeah I enjoyed it quite well then the next story is called let's see where it starts uh Bean, the massacre also by lee falk and cyberry sunday story from 1972 and uh, we see some supernatural elements but not too much i think it's or i mean it is a lot but I think it's done in a good way so I think it's okay then it's uh, Wagon Master by Ulf Granberg, Janne Lundström and Öskan Eralp and it's follow-up story The Indian Hater by Janne Lundström and Öskan Eralp 
these two stories are quite connected through the use of Jonah Blackbird. I think it's a bit of a shame that there's no explanation why Jonah went from trying to find a new home for him and his friends, uh, the free slaves, and uh, becoming a soldier in the US Army. It just happens. And, uh, uh, but I mean, it's two solid stories. After that, we get. Let's see here, here. Terror in the Desert by Janne Lundström and Askenir Alp, also from the 70s. And we also get, as a last story, Badlands by Askenir Alp, both uh, text and images. And I mean, this one was, this is the first Swedish publication of this story. It was first published in, in Kiselmaske and then in Fru, and now this Swedish Basically, Swedish story comes to Sweden. I think that's quite fun, and we see the seventeenth Phantom getting married with Mary, and how how they meet. My final thought as this book as a whole is that this is probably my favorite of the soft cover books of of all they have done, because the theme is so much stronger than the other ones, and uh, uh, I think that makes it more likely that I want to re-explore it because. The themes in the other ones have been quite loose. And uh, I hope the following books, I hope they continue doing these books, and I hope they also have this strong theme as this one. Happy phantoming. Righto. Uh, thank you very much. Always good to hear what is going on in the rest of the world and uh, the way that their stories are being presented to readers. Jim, it's come to that time of the podcast, though, where we need to talk about the, the dailies and the Sundays. There's been a bit going on in the last month or so in both the uh, Daily 264 and the Sunday. Uh, and I'll look up front, I haven't been able to keep as much track on these as I usually am um, right across the Sunday, but the Daily is sort of... Um, I've only been able to dip into that every two or three days. I feel like I'm losing track of that one a little bit. So I might need you to uh, to, to fill me in because the, suddenly um, Savannah's back in the deep woods. Uh, Kit Junior's back in the deep woods. Have, have we have we had a, a time shift? Have we missed some? Have I just missed a whole bunch of store, uh, panels? Or um, what's going on with uh, with the dailies? This whole ending of you know the fan's been shot. The fan thinks, oh, done, this done. is it. He's going to die, and it was almost anticlimactic where I'm expecting something big to happen or to shift, and then the Phantom just goes, oh, oh, let's just get up and we'll just walk out. And it's and it's almost like, what happened? Is it not as bad? Or So, you know, I'm certain I can still walk. No need to sit on the ground as I did in the prophecy. Let's, let's walk. And so it's almost a little bit anticlimactic that, the prophecy has changed enough. Yeah, I, I take this as the Phantom's yeah. done enough things um, in response to hearing Moz's prophecy that mm. to to bend the future a little bit. And he couldn't change it. He still got shot, but it just meant he didn't get shot quite as bad um, and and was able to walk out. He still got hit in the same place and and all the rest of it. But um, yeah, that, that's how I've interpreted it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how I interpret it as well. Uh, some beautiful artwork in here. Let me just say that. The art the artwork is amazing. I did like this little bit here, just where Savannah's like, oh, you know, Babadan's having to walk, and then the Phantom's like, well, he's probably actually ahead of us where we are. You know, we're actually taking the slow route being on a horse. 
shows the strength and the ability of the bander. So I did like that little moment. We're talking about the journey home, which is that that's the end of that story. And without now we've got a new story, which is still part of the overarching arc. So this is the journey home. And we see, which turns out to be Kit, sporting a full beard. And so I was confused as well is, hang on, he's gone in the Himalayas clean shaven, you know, a man but still boyish. And now in this, he looks mannish. So I was confused as well is what's going on here? And then you've got this interaction with old man Moz. Um, now, maybe I'm reading too much into this because I know Tony DePaul always has little moments where he likes to trick, trick us and make us think and stuff like that. But this interaction makes me think that what old man Moz saw and what old man Moz wrote for Diana and the Phantom to read makes me wonder if they're actually the same prophecy. So I wonder if Omar Moz saw something and then he made it worse, like went to the extreme of dying, the 22nd Phantom becoming a vigilante, never returning, Diana leaving, and then the Phantom marrying Savannah and having and continuing the the, the line of the Phantom through her was like the extreme where it's so that that way the phantom had to do something that way diana had to do something and bring the band out to help and so the extreme made up story has made the future change if that kind of makes sense um yeah i hadn't thought of that to be honest um the this the, where you you're got on screen at the moment, which is sort of twenty third of September towards the end of September, um, Kit and that interaction with the with old Moz, did that did that wrap up? Because I feel like I must have missed something there. Old Moz just walks away and like he's been really adamant. He needs to know the exact time that mm. uh, Kit left the the mountain city. Nothing happened there. That didn't. No, happen. nothing happened there. And then right. Kit's wandering around, and the whole village is deserted. That's because they're all off in um, yes, uh, saving the Phantom from from um, Rodia. So no, I got okay. So maybe I didn't miss as much as I as, as I thought. I'll, I'll uh, look forward to coming back again, yeah. which he won't. We've got okay. The twenty first Phantom is okay. He's injured, but you know he's okay. Diana's happy. Nothing's gonna. Nothing bad is going to happen to him at this stage. So. That kind of makes you think, like, okay, the history has changed. And then you've got this interesting dialogue between Diana and Savannah, which reminds me of some interactions between Diana and the, and the Marshall twins. Some of her reactions with the Marshall twins is kind of like where I get this is where this is going. Um, Savannah's happy. Obviously, she doesn't know about the possible future of her shacking up and marrying the Phantom. But, of course, as any person would if you know it's a possibility you would look down at them and not be completely happy to see them there i really like and you've already mentioned mike manley's artwork but um he does great action sequences and all the rest of it but i think one of mike manley's real strengths and it must come from his um work on judge parker i think the way that he can have these talking heads 
um, sequences. She's got, get some great um, expression on Diana's face in particular um, in these sequences. Just the um, the interaction of the of the people. It's just talking heads in a sense, but he comes at it from different angles. The expression he puts on people's faces um, makes it more engaging than it otherwise could be. Mm. Uh, this is kind of funny. So this is on the 14th of October. Are you sure I'm welcome in your deep woods, Diana? I may never leave. <laughs> and it is and it is clear, like through the thought bubbles that we're seeing of Diana's then that she obviously um has read, you know, we know that she's read Moz's prophecy. Um, but she's saying here, well, that would never follow through, that could never come true. So I'm I'm I was really gratified, and this was only yesterday, that's the most recent daily strip. Um, I was really gratified to read that because I was like, Well, in my head, Diana would never leave the Phantom no matter what, because that's um, that's their relationship, um, and it's good to see her reiterate that there. I'm unsure whether it's going to kind of tact and we're going to see like a an unwarranted, you know, butterfly effect of the future because they've changed the future or whether it's just going to wrap up the series. So I'm intrigued where this is kind of heading. And I think what I said earlier about feeling like I'll lose you in touch with the story, as you flick through that then, I probably actually haven't, but because I've dipped in a little bit and each time it seems to be a different scene, it's it's old Moz, it's Kit coming home, it's Savannah, it, you know, um, mm. it's the refugees, it's the Admiral, it's, it's all over the place and it'll be really interesting to see how they come together. I can certainly see... In a in a movie, how you have those different scenes and flashpoints, and you're finding out what's happening here, there, and everywhere, and it all comes together. And it'll be really interesting to see how that you know when the when Kit and Diana, sorry, when the Phantom Diana and Savannah arrive back in the deep woods, and Kit Junior, hopefully, is still there, is there waiting for them. You know that moment is going to be pretty cool. Um, I don't know where Heloise is at the moment. I guess she's back in New York, back at school. I assume. No, 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 she's in Morristown with uh, Cardia. Remember, they are studying there. Before this happened, Diana said to the Phantom that Kit is going to marry Cardia, which is the daughter of the Nomad, right? Mm -hmm. So now you've got Heloise and Cardia in Morristown. Kit is home from the Himalayas. So is this going to see the start of that relationship blossoming or potentially happening i'm just they intrigued people, uh no they haven't okay right well we'll look forward to seeing that happen yeah well look who knows what tony's uh has planned he might not even have a plan for that one yet uh might be on his maybe on his maybe war. I see he's kind of got this, you know, like in the movies where you have like all these scenes and spits of string <laughs> crazy. That's how I kind of see Tony's uh, office. And he's just got all these bits of, you know, like key panels and then he's got bits of strings going from here and there. And then maybe he's got a maybe war where he's got, you know, I like this plot idea and maybe it's cardier and, you know, and so maybe it's still in the maybe war and then maybe he's going to move it over and draw this little string over and stuff like that. So look, Interesting because he probably doesn't have all of those things, but I think in his head he does. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting approach because people seem to love it or hate it. Um, lots mm. of the um, 
you know, some of the criticism, I guess, of Lee Fork is that while he created a story that's almost designed to be a continuity, he wasn't particularly good at keeping that continuity going. Um, used it um, when he wanted to, <laughs> repeated stories that he'd already used and got wives wrong, as you've said, and that sort of stuff. Whereas Tony's all over the, all of that stuff. Um, I think you can probably, I, I think you absolutely can draw a continuous plot line from the moment he took over the fandom to current day, 25 something years later. What that leads to, I guess, as a criticism is some people go, is this story still going? You know, I, and we did, we, we, we're we referring in the panels you've just shown to um, Savannah bombing grave lines when Diana was there, what was that, 12, 15 years ago in uh, yes. in the comic strips. So, you know, it's a it's a, it's a long game. And I think people, sometimes people read that and go, is this still going? Well, yes, it is. It's a continuity. What You know, you've got to decide what do you want. Do you want just these little short, sharp, standalone stories that uh, are all on their own or do you want something that um, maintains that, uh, that, that continuity? In, I agree with you. But in saying that, I would like to see the next story, just something to break up this long stretch of the past two, three years that we've had, give everyone a little bit of a break, a little bit of a respite, and then we can go into the next mm. phase of what Tony DePaul has. I can understand that because, as I said, like um, I feel like I've lost touch a little bit and you've missed a few and suddenly you're losing touch with the big picture. It would be, would be nice to have a bit of a, um, you know, whether it's nine months to a year, like you say, of um, stories that, where there is no butterfly effect, where there is no ripples, where you're not going, oh my god, does this mean what for you know the big picture? Let's let's just have a few little um yeah standaloners, mm. mm. which I guess is what's kind of happening with the Sunday. The Sunday certainly is a standalone. Um, oh well, that's not necessarily true. It's, it draws on um, past stories of John X and that sort of thing. It, the commander will see you now. We're um, what two months into this story now? I feel like eight or eight or ten. Um, Sunday panels we've had and in the last month since we've been um, since last time we spoke about this story um, my key takeaway from this is that uh, Kid Walker a la the Phantom a la the Unknown Commander a la um, John X is a wildly attractive man and all females want to spend time with him that's the key take takeaway from the last month that I've seen <laughs> yeah um, yes that is true I, I will admit I like how they've used Lee Fork to try and help explain what the Phantom, a la all the aliases, are trying <laughs> to do because it's it's a head-scratcher when you're thinking about, you know, what is the Phantom trying to do? You're going from, you know, past tense to future to past, you know, so there's that confusing because you're bouncing around and then, you know, and then it's kind of like, well, you know, then you've got the guy going, what is going on? And it's like, well, that is the conversation that fe- that readers have got. And then you've got Lee Fork, which is, you know, a figurehead in a sense for Tony saying, I'm not sure what's going on. And then he tries to read it out and tries to explain what is going to happen. And look, if I had to explain what is going to happen is... Tony Paul is doing what he with John X, what he did with Savannah, and that is they became too popular. Tony is removing that element from the ongoing arc. Where I think, do you really need John X and the Unknown Commander in the Jungle Patrol? I personally don't think you do. 
I think it will be sacrilege to remove the unknown commander. So that means you need to remove John X. I think that's where this story is going, is where we are going to remove John X and it's just going to be Mr. Walker, the unknown commander, and the Phantom instead of having mm. a fourth one. It's an interesting yeah. one because to, prior to this story coming back, I would have thought that John X was just about done with. I think he could have not gone ever mm. back to him. That would have been perfectly satisfactory. So it's an interesting... Uh, I, I don't know where Tony's taking this one. Going back to your point about, um, you know, inserting himself, in a sense, into the story in the guise of Lee Fork, I find that absolutely fascinating, the the way that they're breaking the fourth wall there. And this, I don't think I've ever seen this in comics before, let alone Phantom, um, where you, and, and you probably have, but I don't read enough, I suppose, but, um, but not in the Phantom so much, where you've actually got, the depiction of the writer writing the story and trying to nut out the plot and then write back into the t- the typewriter and, okay, back into the story. It's it's a really fascinating um, technique that um, they're using at the moment. And I think I like it, but by the same token, it does remove, it, it does quite explicitly say, oh, this is just a, a made-up story. So um, that being all, all yeah, so I'm not sure. Yeah, it's fascinating. I'm not sure whether I like it or not yet. Um, it's certainly intriguing, and I and I, I guess I do because I'm enjoying seeing Lee Fork um, and seeing the thoughts there. But uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Where, where it's also clever is that it breaks up because there's a lot of dialogue at the moment. Yeah, there's a lot of explaining, a lot of detail. So what it does is it breaks up the monotony of just two people talking, which is what we make yeah. a podcast out of, but never mind, that's beside the point. This, so, is, the, so, this is probably the, the, the one you've got on the screen for YouTube watches at the moment. Is that the 8th of October is the panel that I was probably most referring to where John X is just trying to go about his day, typing up his reports, getting lunch, and eight different uh, patrol women are all uh, hitting him up and, and talking about uh, – or in their mind thinking about ways that they'd like to get closer to to uh, this hunk of a man who's just turned up at the uh, in the mess hall. <laughs> really interesting to see what what is John X, you know, what is what is Kit Walker playing at here by pretending to be someone feeding information about someone else that he also pretends to be um, mm. to, to someone who feels like he knows all of them individu- as individuals. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a fun little story so far i'm enjoying it so i wonder we've seen a bit of a tease with mandrake you know the phantom saying you know you're not mandrake and then the sunday after where is it uh you know there's actually a picture of mandrake so i wonder if that's a tease that we might see mandrake in this story as a bit of a crossover just while you're on that page too, I, I commented before on Mike Manley's ability to um, create an interesting scene out of talking heads. Jeff Weigel's done it on this page as well, hasn't he? Just the, again, mm. the different camera angles and I guess most especially the one where we're behind the flower that the Phantom is reaching towards with Diana in the background, but just all of the interactions on this page, yeah, you know, different camera angles. And it, I think um, I think he's done a fantastic job with that as well. I, I think we're so lucky with the two artists we've got on the uh, the Phantom newspaper strips at the moment. Yep, completely agree. 
The last thing I was going to bring up from this section of the Sundays was the reference back to the Graveline story. I think someone, one of the other patrol men or women, asks John X what, what happened at Gravelines, and he, he goes, oh, I can't tell you, that story's not over yet, which is a pretty cool little wink at the mm. dailies where that story's not over yet, and we don't know. So I think that's cool. News at the moment. The uh, the big one, I think, uh, well, the big one that we want to keep track of all the time because we're very excited about it is the Phantom um, video game coming out from Art of Play. Now, uh, this weekend at the time of recording, um, Ash and Anthony and the gang are all at the New York City Comic Convention. Um, you know, we've seen photos that they've shared with us um, and we really appreciate that of the setup that they've got there. Um, in conversation with Ash over the last little while, it sounds like there's a, a pretty regular, steady lineup of people coming to talk to them about what's going on there and uh, building some excitement, just sort of um, and, and in the photos, I love the T-shirts that the guys are wearing and hopefully those become available for, for fans to um, access as well, If uh, particularly if Phantom shirts are your go. Um, we're looking forward to hearing more about it. One of the n- next few podcasts in the very, very near future, we're hoping to get Ash back on to uh, give us an update, you know, a bit, bit, bit of feedback that he can share with everybody about how the convention went, where things are up to. He's talking about trailers and playable demos we've seen um hard copy um blank or proofs of the of the boxes of the game starting to come out as well so there's a bit going on in that space we can't be far away from the kickstarter launching so looking forward to that one what are your anything you want to add to to the art of play stuff at the moment germ keep an eye on our on our socials and website um if you do have specific questions uh, email them to us at chroniclechamber at gmail.com because, look, we'll be able to, if we get a good question, we'll be able to fire them off to him when we talk to him. Yeah, absolutely. Great call. Um, another way that you can, we should be getting in touch with Chronicle Chamber and, and getting involved in podcasts, um, coming up the uh, the website, Chronicle Chamber, uh, together with David and Cy Barry, most importantly, um, are hosting an online studio sketch. Now, um, fans may remember that we've done something similar to this in the past where artists get on and, um, you know, spend some time with uh, drawing live and, and answering questions from fans. That's, this one is scheduled for the 4th of November New York time. So that uh, is a Sunday morning in Australia. And uh, you can go to the website and check the uh, the date, the time converter, the meeting arranger um, that's there to see when that's happening live in your part of the world. And uh, we would really encourage people to buy a ticket for this one because it's going to, uh, all going to charity. Um, buy a ticket, get involved and join us live for the podcast. Um, these are always fun, Jim. They are. When was the last time an average fan who cannot afford a ticket to go to America to a, a comic convention where Cyberry is can actually sit in their living room and watch Cyberry draw. Not only is there Cyberry, there's Lou Matter uh, and Jeremy McPherson who both have international phantom credits. You know, Lou's done covers for Moonstone, for Free, for uh, Shaki as well. Then you've got Jeremy McPherson who's got free credits also. Uh, comics review credits as well so you've got you know three highly credentialed artists who are going to be doing drawing so while you join us on a zoom call like this they draw there's going to be a screen above them to see what you know see what they're drawing of the phantom and then if and if you attend it and purchase a ticket you then go in a drawing you then go in a draw to win one of the drawings 
So, you know, for 30 US, you get an experience of a lifetime. Um, and then you also are in a one in whatever chance it is to get one of those drawings yourself. Know that the time might not be suitable for every fan. And uh, we do uh, apologize ahead of time. But obviously, we had to find a time that suits uh, Cybarry. We want to do more. I've already, we've already started thrashing around some ideas, maybe doing another one with, um, we would love to get maybe some Australian or maybe even some Swedish European artists as well to do another uh, charities uh, studio sketch session. So mm. if you've got any suggestions for that, or if you're a creator from Australia or Europe or, or something like that, and you would like to participate, get in touch with us, chroniclechamber mm. at gmail.com. Yeah, I just wanted to note that the the charity that the funds are going to support is the Jimmy Fund, which um, supports the fight against cancer at the Boston Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, a charity that's been chosen by Cy Barry, um, special for him, and uh, he wants the funds to be able to go to that one. And it was also Cy who reached out to to Lou Manor, certainly wanted Jeremy McPherson on board. So um, in terms of how the artists have come together, Cy's chosen them. It's his party. Um, he set the time, as, as you've said, Jim, we need to make sure that it's uh, uh, when it suits him um, because at the end of the day size not getting any younger and uh, we need to make sure that we do everything that that, that ticks his boxes and um, being too pessimistic um, we may not have many more chances to spend some time with Cy si and, and watch him draw and ask some questions that sort of thing so it's a really special opportunity and certainly encourage anyone to uh, to get involved with that one just go to the our website chroniclechain.com um, and you'll find the links to to join up with that one other things that are going on in the world in Bundaberg, very close to my part of the neck of the woods, actually, like temptingly close. It's about six hours drive from where I live. Um, Bundaberg in Queensland, Australia, um, are having a Phantom Art Exhibition that's going to run from the 18th of November through to the 4th of February next year. I'm definitely going to have to get up there at some point over my Christmas holidays. Um, would love to get up there for the uh, the grand opening on the 18th, but I have uh, work commitments that I just cannot get out of on that day. I'm very much looking forward to to seeing that. Now, Jamie, you've already had the opportunity to have a quick chat with Shane, and uh, we're about to hear from him, I think. Just wanted to touch base and talk to you, uh, obviously, about this uh, Bundaberg Regional Art Gallery, which is titled Phantom Off. The drawing board. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about this um, exciting expedition? I was approached a little while ago. I know the curator reasonably well. I've had an exhibition there before. And uh, she just came to me and said about how they find a lot of people are quite amazed there's a phantom artist living in little old Bundaberg. And, and a lot of people treat artwork and comic artwork like it's a slightly magical process. <laughs> and uh, so she thought it would be a good idea Knowing the Phantom is very popular, even amongst younger people who, you know, they all know about the Phantom, even if they don't read him anymore. Or they know people in the family who do. And so she thought it'd be a great idea to have an entire exhibition, all original Phantom artwork there. And it snowballed. It's, it seems to be a big thing. It's the entire bottom floor of the local gallery here. So I believe that the entire bottom floor, it's actually four sections. So you're actually holding four sections in the art gallery all dedicated to the Phantom. Is that correct? There is a lot there. And mm. uh, there is an upstairs as well. And in the upstairs, she is contacting a lot of local artists and getting them to do a reaction to the Phantom. So there'll be a lot of oddball phantom stuff on the other floor. So the entire gallery is going to be overtaken with the Phantom. Now, so you've talked about original phantom artwork so this so this is going to include a lot of your own 
original Phantom artwork. Is that correct? Yeah, a lot, a lot of the idea she had was to showcase me because I'm the local boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the idea was to, they're, they're going to sort of replicate a sort of office studio in the middle of it, uh, showing Lightbox, all the, all the material I use and that sort of thing. And um, I, I've offered them a lot of sketch pages, rough pages, which go before building up a comic page, a script or the type of script that I work from when I write my own stories and all that sort of stuff. So most of it will be me, but they're also including there's going to be a history of fruit on one wall, one of the short walls. And I understand she's doing her best to source through Phantom 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> so they better have security guards on. Uh, and <laughs> want some original artwork from other artists. And I know, like I have one Wilson McCoy, it's going to be in. And we understand we've had an offer of some others. I won't mention what yet because it's not finalised. But there'll be a little bit more that's not just me. And then there'll be whole sequences from my stuff. I know that I've actually, at this stage, given them 71 pieces of artwork at the moment. Oh, wow. All make it onto the walls. I don't know, because it's very hard to work out just how much you need. You know, all, mm. all mm. I've done 11 covers, not counting the uh, convention, like multi-covers. And they'll all be there, all framed and up there, because I've hung, I've hung onto all that. So they're going to have that. There's going to be a section on the female fandom. They're very interested in that. <laughs> that was one of the questions that we had one of our followers on social media. They were actually asking about the actual concept of the female phantom. So when you say they're having a section on the female phantom, is that Julie with some of the stories about the her story or is that every single past female who has worn the phantom's costume? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, at this stage, what I've done is I've I've replicated uh, a few of the Wilson McCoy panels out of the Julie story, so they'll know yep. that the first female phantom was Julie. There's also they're also interested in Heloise. Coincidentally, you know, I had a cover with Heloise on it from one of yes. uh, one of the uh, Phantom and stories, and they're sort of interested in Diana wearing the costume, and 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 she did in Diana and the Bank Robbers. You know, the story straight after Julie. So they're just going to mention it. Um, there might be a bit more of a write-up about it. I haven't – they'll be asking me about that, I would say, and I haven't done that yet. But it's going to be on the way out. They're going to talk about the possibility, and I understand they're going to do something like, cast your vote. Who should be the next Phantom? Oh, <laughs> nice. So they're going to try and get the girls involved. They're getting, um, you know, Super Collector Paul Maloney. He's bringing up a stack of Phantom rings. There's going to be rings there. And I understand there's even going to be some of those New Guinea shields. Well. Yes, I believe that, um, and I believe that there will be some other merchandise that he uh, lending. I'm assuming. I'm assuming he's not donating them. I'm assuming it's only on lend. <laughs> so, and uh, and there will be some of the uh, fru merchandise as well. Like fru's on fru's on board. They're going to be very helpful. Um, oh, that's that's awesome. Glenn's coming up for it. Staying oh, Glenn's. And then I believe uh, Paul Mason, artist of Kid Fancy. Oh, I left that part out. Yeah, Paul. See, in this gallery, they also have a, a, a children's section where kids respond to what's in there. So Paul Mason's work is going to be the theme of the kids section entirely, you know, and, and all that. But Paul is also going to be in the main body of it as another interpretation of the Phantom, you know. So uh, 
So yeah, it's, it's not just me. Mine will be the bulk of it on a couple of the walls, but but there's plenty more besides just me. People like Cybarry, Paul Mace, and Glenn Ford, are they all okay about playing second fiddle to you? <laughs> They've never quite put it like that, but everyone's <laughs> everyone's everyone seems happy so far. And unless there's a major betrayal coming, the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I also believe that you that there's going to be a section where you're going to be showing the Phantom serial. In the gallery, there is a little little place called the vault. Well, they've got this all these little sections and walled areas and stuff. But the vault is going to have is it the Tim Tyler serial, the 1940 serial or something? That's going to be running. I think they looked into the Billy Zane one that was a bit problematic or too hard to get or something, <laughs> if I can say that. Yeah, the the very old serial will be running in the vault. Paul Mason. Uh, activities for kids based around Paul Mason's art is in the children's section and then there's all these other little sections as well. And I've got stuff there like a script, then a scribble page, then another page. There'll be a light box there. People will be able to see that what it's done with and, and all that sort of thing and, and quite a few sequences out of giant size and the things like that. You have to walk into the Skull Cave to get into it. Oh, you've got to have a nice big cutout of the Skull Cave. It's going to be painted by me, I understand. They're, they're building a false wall with a door in it and I have to paint the skull cave on it. Oh, <laughs> that nice. hasn't happened yet. Now, I believe that there's two major events as well. There's uh, the Friday, the 17th of November, which is going to be the opening night. I'm assuming you'll be there and I'm assuming uh, Paul and uh, Glenn Ford will also be there. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, yeah. I know Glenn's coming yeah. up for it. I assume Paul will be there. Or the Saturday, there's um, walk-through, uh, signings, uh, question and answer sort of stuff and talk things. So, yeah, that's the Saturday. Oh, honestly, this sounds very exciting. Um, over 100 pieces of original art from yourself, from Wilson McCoy and from some other well-known um, artists. There's going to be the whole gallery decked out. There's going to be room for the children, uh, sections on, on Kid Phantom, on um, Female Phantom as well. There's uh, the 18th of November to the 4th of February, uh, weekdays 9.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. and weekends 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., so that's Saturday and Sunday. Uh, the cost is free. The location is the Bundaberg Regional Art Gallery, which is 1 Barrowland Street in Bundaberg. Barrowland. Barrowland. Only out of town is called <laughs> <laughs> wish you all the best with this exciting expedition um, yeah hopefully maybe we can even get rebecca and maybe yourself on uh for a bit of a chat closer to the date as well there we go sure all right thank you for joining us all right so what was your key takeaway from that jim um just how large it's going to be there's like uh four six rooms there's going to be local artists doing their depictions of the Phantom as well. So I think that's important. Not only is it showcasing a national or a international hero, but you're getting local artists who may have never picked up a comic, who are now going to pick up a comic, and then they might go, oh, actually, I really enjoyed this. And, you know, they, these artists may be artists from, like, pottery to abstract art to, you know, realism artwork. There may be an artist who might even be good enough for free to be able to draw something. So there's that, you know, and then these artists are going to see a local artist in Shane Foley, a local identity who can say, well, if he's now an international artist who's drawing comics 
internationally. His comics have been in Australia, have been in Sweden and stuff like that. There's a pathway for me to do that as well. So I think that's great. Even if you've been a um, an ambulance driver for most of your most of your career, it's never too late. Mm, mm. And I, I really so I was actually talking to some WA Perth guys this week, and they were like, you know, like, oh, why can't it come over to WA or something? And and I ended up just saying to them, I said, well, it doesn't have to come over to WA. You can organise something. And I really just throw that challenge out to anyone else who's saying, oh, why is it only going to Bundaberg? Why is it coming to my hometown or something? You know, Bradley Peach did one in Albury Country, New South Wales. And, you know, I know there's been others. Maybe you, if you've got a great collection, go to a local library, go to a local gallery or something and, and put the suggestion to them. Say, well, what, what do you need from us? Get a couple of fans together. What do you need from us to be able to do an exhibition on the Phantom? The beauty about Free is that they've got artists in all all around. You know, there's artists in Tasmania, there's artists in Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, uh, South Australia, even in Perth and WA and stuff like that as well, is go to them and say, I want to do something on the Phantom. What do you need from us? Because knowing a lot of people who work for local governments who who want to do stuff like this, they want people to be able to help them. So maybe see it as a challenge. Maybe, you know, let's see if we can have more Phantom in around the local governments in expeditions and libraries and stuff like that. Have a conversation. It's a great point because the reason it's happening in Bundaberg is because that's Shane's hometown and uh, so um, he's heavily involved in setting that up. Well, watch this space and as I said, I certainly um, hope to uh, to get up there myself and um, maybe do some roving reporting from, from Bundaberg. All right, let's move on. Um, something that has already uh, appeared on the website is uh, our YouTube review of the Monogram keychains. Now, they're out in October this year. Um, I haven't been lucky enough to get one yet. It's a range of um, keychains that's got a lot of um, Defenders of the Earth characters um, based around them. Come in little blind bags, and I'll talk about why that's crap in a minute. But they do have two of the, of the series are Phantom characters. And, Jim, I know you've done the review. I assume you've got them there to hold up and show us yep got them here look very look they remind me of the pop vinyls you know with the big heads little bodies and stuff like that but look my kids love them i think they will be a hit amongst kids um buy them put them on your kids school bags i think they're probably a bit too bulky for an actual key ring but they will look good on school bags and stuff like that you can buy them individual blind bags in the states you can buy them for about six US dollars. Um, you should be able to find them on eBay soon. We've got links on our website on the review where you can actually buy the whole case. Why do you not like the blind bags, Dan? Tell me why you don't like the blind bags. Tell it to because... his face. Tell it to his face <laughs> why you don't like the blind bags. I don't like the blind bags because they're blind. I, If I'm going to go and spend, okay, $6 US, Okay, so I, I've got to, you know, 
hypothetically, if, if they were available in Australia and I was going into a comic shop and there's a box of blind bags and I can pick them up and I've got a one in 10 chance of getting a Phantom character, that means I've got a nine in 10 chance of not getting a Phantom character and ending up spending money on something I didn't want. Maybe if the only way that I would that I would collect these is to buy the whole box so I'm guaranteed a set. Um, but it just it irks me the idea of buying something and, and not getting what you want. And I think Steve would probably say something similar if he was here. He was <laughs> lucky enough to have purchased some blind bags of the, the Boss Fight Studios figurines that came out, you know, in the last six months or whatever it was. And he has sent us multiple videos of going, right, I'm going, I'm buying one more of these blind bags. All right, here's the grand opening, here's the reveal. It's these. Oh no. Oh, I don't want this. You know, so it just, it irks me that you take the risk of getting a, a character that you don't want when you, you know, why would you spend the money on it? So I'll uh, I'll wait till they're available on eBay and uh, I can get exactly the character that I want because um, I'm a Phantom collector, not, uh, not all of this other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And look, it's a very valid argument, but I guess the reason why you do that is because for the shops, like if these were being sold individually like this, yeah. They would be ending up with all of the characters that no one wants, and then they've got useless stock. Well, why do I have to have the useless stock? <laughs> because then you'll go buy another one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. And so even instead, there. Of, instead of just buying two, because you go, oh, I got the light purple and the dark purple. I'm happy I'll buy two. You might end yeah. up buying six or seven until you get the two that you're after. Yeah, probably. Really interesting because you said that kids love it, and I'm sure that they wouldn't. Um, but uh, and and kids are the market for things like blind bags. I remember um, buying you know footy cards and that sort of thing. You collect the set, and, you, and you're going to end up with multiples, and that's okay. You're getting a, a pack of nine cards for three bucks or whatever it was back in the day. But I don't know that kids are going into shops to buy these. They're all characters. Other than the Phantom, they're all characters who don't really have any currency. Even the Phantom doesn't really have currency in America. It's been a long time since there was anything there. I'm not sure who these are, are pitched at. I wouldn't think that many collectors like the idea of blind bags because you're collecting things that you don't necessarily want. I don't think the kids who are the sort of market who might be okay with, you know, swapping and get like it's too expensive and the characters that the kids aren't really identifying with so i don't know i just i, I have a real query about the, the 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 selling marketing technique of this one I, I really like the look of the the product as you hold them up there um and would love to, to have a couple on the shelves behind me but if i could i'd i'd buy one and i probably would use it on my work keys or something like that but um you know i'm not going to take the risk of ending up with a bloody ming yeah you know all, all valid points um look at this stage of recording, I haven't found an Australian retailer who is supplying them. I expect there will be a couple like Pop Culture from yeah. from Long will probably eventually stock them. I also believe that Minotaur in Melbourne will probably eventually stock them as well. So just keep your eyes out. Look, if you're a completist, buy yourself a, a box. And then that way you guarantee them. And then you might be able to sell your doubles to someone like Dan who doesn't want to end up with several Mings. Must be, and this is a divergence of, uh, of sort, but it must be frustrating creators of Phantom merch like that, that there is this 
um, blind spot at the moment with distribution in Australia, which is one of the bigger markets I would have thought for um, phantom characters. But whatever happened with uh, with NECA um, and the Australian distribution seems to have put a bit of a stop mm. in these things coming to our shores. And uh, that is really frustrating. I know that my local comic book shop is frustrated by it because I'm not the only person who goes in there only asking for fandom stuff and and suddenly the the things they used to be able to get for us have dried up so, so i hope that that gets sorted out sooner rather than later all right let's move on um the we talked a bit about the fandom art exhibition there and jim made a pitch for people uh setting up displays and that sort of thing we do know that the melbourne comic and toy fair on october the 29th that's a sunday about a fortnight from now so still time hopefully if you're if you're listening to this um as it drops glenn ford's going to go along and um and be available at the Melbourne Comic and Toy Fair. So I think uh, Steve is keen to to get along on what represents at that one. Are you, I don't think you'll make the journey over, Joe. Uh, not unless you're paying for the FS. No, no. <laughs> Patreon would have to start uh, just exploding for us to be able to get around and actually report live from these things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe that's a goal for Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, luckily enough, uh, Steve will be hopefully fully recovered and be able to be our man on the ground there. Um, and he's certainly uh, provided a bit of information which you can find on the website as well. So um, get to that one if you're in Melbourne or the surrounds. Now, the a bit of an obscure one um, and something that you'll see in our in our Phantom Preservation Project soon if you can't access it any other way. But um, the Phantom has actually appeared on, uh, well, the Phantom as a concept, as a, as a topic, has appeared on Australian mainstream TV again in the last month or so. Game show we've got here called Hard Quiz, where people can nominate a category that they're a specialist in and go on and get quizzed on that specialist category against other people and their specialist categories, I guess is the best way to explain it. Um, Hard Quiz is the name of the show, as I say. My understanding from uh, reading up on it at different times is once a topic has been um, used, once they've, they've had a, someone get on and, and answer all the questions that they, they know about the Titanic or um, World War II or whatever their specialist area is, that topic's done and dusted. But the Phantoms made a return appearance and Maria Lewis, Maria Lewis, I'm sorry, um, who also did the fantastic fan podcast uh from 2021 i want to say now um has has made a, a second appearance now i actually haven't had a chance to watch the show yet germ um without uh spoiling the questions or anything like that what did you what did you make of uh the the fandom coming again onto uh the abc hardcore show we got some good questions uh unfortunately maria didn't go i think she went to the second round she didn't go any further than that um on our article, which were in our show notes, we do have the five questions. It'll be intriguing whether everyone got the five right. And did you, I assume, you got the five? Yeah, yeah there was one that technically... Oh, is this I a question we can go too much? Are yeah. You to yourself? Yeah, yeah. So there was a question like the oldest, you know, ongoing publication, Free, and then it had the question about Free. But... Fruz, there's actually a comic book series that is still being produced that was actually started before Fruz. So the answer to what they were asking was right, but the way they phrased the question was not 100% correct. You know, like the real nuffies are going to, you know, pick up on that. You know, 90% of all fans would have not even picked up on that. Maybe 95, maybe 98. It's the, you know, the true nerds. Um, that will probably go, well, actually, hang on. 
All right. Well, if you're uh, if you're listening to us and you're in Australia and you haven't seen it yet, then it will be available on iView at the moment, and that's a free account you can set up for yourself. But otherwise, uh, we will look to make it available to Patreons on our preservation project, and that'll be updated hopefully by the end of the day. Um, so we'll see how we'll see how that goes. There is um, another big bit of news that's brewing. We can't say very much about it at the moment. We've um, speculated around this sort of topic um, for probably as long as we've had the podcast, to be honest. Um, but especially over the last six to twelve months, we've sort of hoped that something was brewing. We felt that something was brewing. The jungle butt drums are beating, um, but we're, there's some very big news that's coming out soon. Just gentle little rumblings. But, yeah, this is something we've been working on for, I would have to say, yeah, over a year now. This is something that we've been aware of. We've been, you know, working behind the scenes and communicating. And it's not not the TV show, which we've already announced, something else. So keep an eye on our socials and our website. And, um, yeah, it's very exciting. And the video game, the TV show, this could be something else that just makes the phantom bigger and better and hopefully more popular all right well it's been a it's been a big uh conversation i sort of thought oh we've only got two or three phantom comics and there's not much to talk about but as always we managed to spin it out for an hour and a half or so so um also so two hours um look thanks very much to everyone for joining us today um i hope you've uh i hope you've enjoyed the drive or the lawn mowing or the dishwashing or whatever it was while you were, you were doing while we were prattling along and uh and, and talking to you about all things phantom germ as always it's been fantastic to catch up with you and uh yeah spend a bit of time talking about our favorite comic book hero what else would we rather do <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not mow the lawn or do the dishes i'll tell you that <laughs> no not at all uh, thanks for listening and for myself happy phantom thanks very much everybody happy phantom the phantom's always there but you won't find the phantom he finds